Hey, it's Haley from the future here. I wanted to pop in really fast and let you know that this is a very old episode of mine. So please keep that in mind whenever you are listening. Please go ahead and check out some of my newer episodes because I have a ton of equipment now and I have editing software now and everything has improved quite a lot since the time of recording this episode. I have found that a lot of my negative reviews come from my older episodes, so please just keep that in mind. I am aware of the problems in these episodes, and I truly was doing the best I can. I was just recording on my iPhone, and I was editing from my phone as well, and it just really was not a great process for creating a super high-quality and produced podcast. So thank you so much for the grace that you're going to give me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please go ahead and listen to some of my newer episodes as well. A huge thank you to Nyx for helping me bring you today's episode. If you don't know what Nyx is, it is a loungewear company that has absolutely everything you need so you can be comfortable on an everyday basis in your loungewear. Let's be honest, most bras are just so uncomfortable with their sharp wires and their straps that are rarely ever truly adjustable and the lack of extender hooks in the back. NYX has completely changed the game and they are devoted to bringing women comfortable everyday bras and sports bras. I personally have five bras from NYX already and I absolutely love every single one of them. And something that I love about NYX is their accurate representation of women. Let's be honest, not all of our stomachs are smooth and line-free and our legs are not completely airbrushed on an everyday basis and all of their models look just like you and me and it just makes me so happy that they have models who look like normal people and they don't photoshop what their models look like and the texture of their skin and thanks to nyx you can get 15 dollars off whenever you use the link in my show notes so you can get an even more affordable bra from them everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley and on this podcast, we try to bring light to unidentified victims. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who follows me on Instagram. I recently hit 300 followers, which is just so exciting and I never thought that I would get you know, that many followers on Instagram so quickly. So thank you so much for joining me there. And if you haven't already, do be sure to follow me. I love to get feedback from you all over there. It makes it a lot easier for me to kind of craft my episodes. And something recent that I asked your feedback on is I asked if all of you have used Chewy before and 90% of you said that you do use Chewy and so that makes me really happy because you know at first you wouldn't think that there's a lot of crossover between unidentified victims and Chewy but it makes me really happy that 90% of my followers do use Chewies. So I'm really glad that you all are enjoying that advertisement and that it is relevant to you. So today's episode I'm going to be covering the Arroyo Grande Jane Doe And I did look at Google Translate, and that is how Google Translate pronounced it, so I don't have to apologize for my lack of pronunciation in this episode. And so let's just go ahead and get into the Arroyo Grande Jane Doe's case. 
On October 5, 1980, in Henderson, Nevada, the battered body of a young girl was found near State Route 146 near Arroyo Grande Road around 9.20 p.m. If you are unfamiliar with Henderson, Nevada, it is a city in Clark County, Nevada, United States, and it is about 16 miles or 26 kilometers southeast of downtown Las Vegas. It is the second largest city in Nevada, just after Las Vegas, with an estimated population of 320,189 people in 2019. Big shout out to Wikipedia for that information. But it's also important to note that in 1980, the town only had 24,363 people, and it definitely was not a you know, big suburb like it is today. It was just a town that was pretty far outside of Nevada at the time of this Jane Doe's death. So that is something to keep in mind. So now that we have a good idea about where she was found and the circumstances of the area at the time, let's go ahead and get into the crime scene. So unfortunately, she was left naked with just a yellow shower curtain thrown over her body, and the attack was incredibly brutal. Um, weapons ranged from fists to puncture-type instruments that they haven't identified as what it seems based on the report. The attack was so brutal that it actually knocked out one of her lower teeth, so that's why you will see one of her teeth missing in a lot of the drawings of her, but she did have that tooth before the attack. And something that is pretty unique for Jane and John Doe cases from what I have seen is the killer actually washed her body and then dumped it at the scene. To me, this is a very unique aspect of the case because to me, washing a body seems more serial killer-like. It doesn't seem, you know, like someone just like happened upon this woman and was just like, you know, decided to take advantage of the circumstances and just kill her because they're crazy. It seems like, you know, it was kind of like thought out. They knew what to do. It just seemed like to me that this person may have done this before and that they really wanted to make sure that they never got caught. The Arroyo Grande Jane Doe before her death was estimated to be around 13 to 25 years old based off of her body and her development. And she was around 5'2 and 103 pounds. Her hair was a light blondish brown hair, probably like what we call today as a dishwater blonde. And her eye color does vary a lot. Some people say green, some people say blue, some people say hazel, but there are notes that she definitely did not have brown eyes. I'm not sure how they were able to determine that she definitely didn't have brown eyes, but she did have lighter eyes. But just keep in mind that she had lighter eyes and did not have brown eyes. And she also had a unique dental procedure performed, which is called a suture, and that was used to straighten a tooth. I had never heard of that before. When I think of a suture, I think of like stitches. I'm not sure if it's the same thing. Additionally, she wore silver nail polish and she also had a vaccination scar on her left bicep. So she did have access to things like nail polish and medical treatment. Something that is very unique is she had a, they say crudely made tattoo of the letter S. When I looked at the images, it kind of looked like a poke and stick tattoo. It definitely didn't look like professionally done or it was, you know, intentional that it looked like a little bit messy. And some people say it could also be a five. So 
a five or an S. And investigators don't want us to focus on this because the tattoo was still healing that family and friends may not have known her to have a tattoo. So that is something to keep in mind just because you know someone who went missing around this time did not have any tattoos, it does not rule them out completely. She also had pierced ears. They could determine that she was a non-smoker, which in the 1980s does say a lot. Pretty much everyone smoked in the 1980s, and so this would have been a very distinct attribute of hers. I am so excited to announce that Chewy has partnered with me to bring this week's podcast episode to you guys. And the reason I'm so excited is because I have personally been using Chewy to supply my dog, Ranger, with food for over three years, which is way longer than I even thought about having a podcast. And so I personally love Chewy here. And the reason I love it so much is because they have such a wide selection of products. They have products for just about any type of pet you could possibly have legally. And they have a great program called the Auto Ship Program. And with Chewy's Auto Ship Program, you can set up a schedule for your pet's food, treats, or whatever you want to give them every single month to come straight to your door without you even having to place the order yourself. And you can even pick the frequency it comes. So for example, we get it every three weeks because that is how long it takes for Ranger to go through his food. And because I love AutoShip so much, I wanted to give my listeners a chance to try it out themselves. And so when you use the link in my description, you can get 30% off your first AutoShip through Chewy. And I think you will see why I have been using AutoShip for my dog Ranger for over three years now. It's just the easiest thing and now you get to try it for 30% off. And according to the stories of the Unsolved website, which I love that website, it is a fantastic place for accurate information from what I have found. There are four main theories, so I'm just going to go ahead and list them off, but these are not in any way my theories, and I did get all of these from that website, which I will link in my show notes. So the primary theory is that she is a runaway, possibly from California, since Las Vegas is fairly close to California, and her disappearance was never reported to authorities. This could make sense if she was in a group home or if she didn't have a close relationship with her parents and they were fighting and they just, you know, didn't really care that she left, which does seem to be the case for a lot of Jane and John Doe cases that get solved. And Las Vegas really is a place that people will go to if they just want to change their lives. There's a lot of job opportunities as waitresses and bartenders. And it was that way even back then in the 1980s, Las Vegas was a huge hub. And you think about the 80s and, you know, the late 70s and a lot of people just wanted to party and Las Vegas was a huge hotspot for that. And so perhaps she ran away, got a ride to Las Vegas, and then she met foul play whenever she was there. A second theory is that she was a hitchhiker because of the location of her body. It was just off of a pretty large state highway um, and it was in a relatively populated town and perhaps she was trying to travel in between Las Vegas in another area and she was hitchhiking and she met with foul play from a 
person who gave her a ride. And unfortunately, this does mean that her murderer could be literally anywhere. Um, there have been so many trucker serial killers, particularly in the 80s. And so the pool of people, if this theory is correct, is absolutely massive. And a third theory, which isn't really a theory, it was just kind of on the website and I do want to mention it, Detectives did look into that the Arroyo Grande Jane Doe was the victim of a potential serial killer or killers, and they did look into the possibility that it was a Henry Lee Lucas case or an Otis Toole case. Obviously, they haven't been able to make those connections positively or else someone would have been tried for her murder. And a final theory, and when I read this, I thought... Whoever came up with it was so detailed in their research and I was very impressed, but someone noticed that a Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes boxing match took place on October 2nd, so this is just three days before she was found, but the theory is that she may have been brought to Las Vegas by a pimp looking to make some money during the boxing match from, you know, one of the attendees. And this theory is supported by her tattoo and it can symbolize branding or ownership by the pimp. And to me, that is just so horrible that, you know, and that stuff still does happen. People get branded all the time, unfortunately, as sex workers by their pimps. And it's just so difficult and it's a very permanent way to say that you own someone getting a tattoo or branding someone it's a forever statement that you own this person and so even if they are able to break away from the lifestyle of forced sex work or you know being owned by a pimp it is a permanent statement that they were owned at one point and that is just so sad to me and some people believe that she was killed because she couldn't make her pimp enough money and to be honest, I don't know the statistic behind that. I highly doubt there's a statistic on it because how do you even know? As I mentioned, this attack was brutal and it did feel very personal because she was punched so many times that the person who killed her was either just a horrible human being and had a lot of rage inside them or it was a personal attack. So if it were up to me to give the verdict on which theory is most likely, I would say the boxing match one where she was unfortunately brought there by a pimp or that she was a runaway from California. And to kind of catch us back up to today, isotope testing was scheduled according to the Henderson Police Department in 2016, but they have not announced any results publicly and if you remember from the Fond du Lac Jane Doe I believe isotope testing kind of gives you an idea of where the person resided a certain number of years before they died or before the testing took place and so that will really narrow down where she could be from and obviously they're not going to give any results if they believe it's connected to the murder um, and so I do think that's very significant that it's been five years now and they haven't announced any results. I can't help but wonder if one particular theory is correct or if the location that she lived is connected to her killer. Also her autopsy images are available 
and I always say this, but it's really not that bad. They don't post any autopsy images unless they think it will be triggering or if the face is not recognizable. And so you can see her face. And something that I do want to mention is she does have a very unique looking nose. I feel like if you were to see her nose, you would definitely recognize her if you did know her and I do think the sketches do give a great portrayal of her nose you will see in my episode art that she does have just a very it's kind of a slanted down nose and it kind of has like a button at the end of it it's a very cute nose but it's very unique and something that I want to start doing just to make it a little bit easier for you to remember who this person may have looked like or seemed like back in the day, I am going to go ahead and recap who she could have been. So her date of birth was either between 1955 and 1967. That, you know, puts the age range at 13 to 25 years old and she was around 5'2 with dark blonde hair and she was around 103 pounds and you may not have known her to have a tattoo because it was so recent but if you do remember someone going missing shortly after getting a tattoo that could very well be her and also I would like to mention that she may not have been from Las Vegas so it kind of just goes for if you know anyone who went missing who may have looked like her please do contact the Henderson Police Department. There have been 27 missing females who have been excluded from being this Jane Doe and also I always talk about how I'm completely against speculation whenever it can be harmful but I do want to say that if you are going to recommend that a missing woman is this Jane Doe, I do recommend looking at these images very closely because I did look at the autopsy image um, because they don't trigger me or anything like that. And so I did look at it and I will say that the drawings of her face are very accurate and so please just don't pull up some random blonde girl who was like 5'1 to 5'3 and say that it could be her. Please actually look at the image and do cross-reference. That seems to be kind of one of the biggest wastes of time, in my opinion. I'm sure police departments, especially with famous Jane Doe and John Doe cases, they probably get flooded every single day with tips about who a Jane Doe or John Doe might be and I will look at them because they'll recommend them on Facebook or Reddit and I'll look at them and you know to me it's just so obvious that this is not the correct person just by looking at the images. So I do just want to make that note because if we really are going to be passionate about identifying Jane Doe and John Doe's we do need to take that next step to ask ourselves critically, could this actually be this person or am I speculating? I don't mean to rant or anything. It's just I've seen dozens and dozens of people saying like, oh, it could be her. There's, she's a, another African-American female who went missing two years before the body was found. And if you look at the images, they look nothing alike. 
I just wanted to kind of mention that because I can't imagine how frustrating it can be for police departments to take that time because let's be honest, Jane Doe and John Doe cases do tend to be pushed to the back burner, especially as they get older and especially in a place like Las Vegas where there are dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of crimes committed every single day there. But if you do have someone in your life who really does look like this girl and who really does match the description of her, please go ahead and submit it to the Henderson Police Department. The contact person that I found online is Lieutenant Boatkin or Botkin at 702-267-5000 and the case number is 80-3937. And you can also contact the Clark County Coroner's Office and the contact person is Felicia Borla and her phone number is 702-455-3219 and over there the case number is 80-01221. All right guys, well thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I really hope that we can get a name back for this Jane Doe. I know I say this all the time whenever I cover a younger Jane Doe, but she does remind me a lot of the Walker County Jane Doe. They were actually found the same month in the same year, just a few states apart. To me, it is just so crazy how many Jane and John Doe's were discovered in 1980 there really seems to be quite a lot like even the ventura county jane doe was found that same year as well as the kern county jane doe so it just seems that i am covering quite a lot of missing women from 1980 and i really didn't put two and two together that so many young women went missing around this time but i can't help but wonder if it could be connected and a lot of them are found in very urban areas or around highways that lead to urban areas so I just can't help but wonder if possibly some of them are connected because there are a ton more that I will cover in the future that did take place in 1980 and so yeah I just think it's very interesting the similarities in the dates of all of these women. But anyways, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode and thank you so much to Chewy and Nyx for sponsoring today's episode. I feel very blessed to have some sponsors and I've actually been DMing with Chewy and they are all so great over there and I'm so happy that they're kind of like keeping tabs on if you all were interested in learning more about them and if you still use Chewy and I'm sure it made their days knowing that 90% of my followers have used them before and so thank you so much to them for sponsoring today's episode. I could not be doing this still without them. And next week, I will be back covering the Moore County John Doe from 1991.